1: Welcome to The Help Desk for Wednesday, the 9th of December. My name is Peter Wales. How are you, Tess?
0: I am good, thank you, Peter. And our first story today takes us back to our very first episode 100 years ago.
1: (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. So dating apps are getting a little bit safer.
0: That's right. So I think it was back in October, Four Corners and Triple J's Hack had that report around Tinder and how it was really sort of letting its users down. And the story that has come out over the weekend in the U.S. is that Tinder is now making it safer to report those bad actors on the dating app. And so it follows the criticism highlighted in the programs that showed that sexual predators on the service would unmatch their victims, making it harder for them to find and report. Now when users are unmatched, Both retain a history of the chat in case one side wishes to report it. And Bumble also introduced a similar feature last month for its users. The Bumble feature includes a massive report button, whereas Tinder simply links uh, to a frequently asked page about reporting users.
1: Does this make you feel any safer?
0: I think, uh, well, (laughs) not particularly, but I think uh, (laughs) it's good progress and it's good on uh, educating consumers or users that they can report. Because apparently, Mm. Tinder said, you've always been able to report, but if there's nothing in the user interface that says report or gives you any guidance there, how are you meant to know that?
1: Absolutely. Meanwhile, Inner at Axios is reporting that Tinder's parent company, Match, is working with Rain, uh, a leading anti-sexual violence organisation in the US, to fully audit its dating apps in an attempt to prevent sexual assault on its platforms. And just so you know, Match apps include Tinder, Hinge, Plenty of Fish and, of course, Match.
0: Yeah, and hopefully in that case, an audit and a wide-ranging report isn't just an excuse to do nothing.
1: Yeah, it seems like they're they're actually giving Rain a lot of of free reign, pardon the pun, to really see where they're they're falling down. So it it does look like progress on all sides. Meanwhile, Uber is exiting the self-driving car landscape. Uh, So Uber was one of the very first companies to embrace self-driving cars, throwing a tonne of money behind the project and hiring some of the best names in the business. Uber was keen on the technology as the hefty meat sack behind the driver's wheel is always Uber's biggest expense. But the company has had a fraught history with the technology In 2018, the company was found to have stolen a lot of tech from its leading competitor, Waymo, which is a Google company. And Anthony Lewandowski, who previously worked for Google and was uh, head of Uber's self-drive at the time, was sentenced to 18 months in prison for his role in the scandal.
0: And um, also, if you remember back in 2018, an Uber car hit and killed a pedestrian uh, during a trial run of that uh, autopilot technology. So today, Uber's announced that it's selling off its self-driving division to a company called Aurora, which will be per- purchasing the cheque at a bargain basement price. It really seems as though that the self-driving vehicles are taking longer to you know, come to fruition and it's, it's more expensive than the technology optimists had predicted a few years ago.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I remember um, Travis Kalanick, the former uh, CEO of Uber, up on stage maybe in 2017, 16, saying that uh, Uber would be fully self-driving by 2020. And uh, I don't think they hit that, that goal.
0: Yeah. And there are a lot more players in the space than there were back then as well. So maybe it does make sense just to, you know, for Uber to stick to its knitting and uh, let, let someone else take, take this on and stop burning piles of money.
1: Yeah. Although they, they have actually increased uh, their stock price by 70%, I was reading in one of the stories, by focusing on the knitting, as you say, and really focusing hard on food delivery because their rideshare business really tanked during the pandemic. But moving on, and in inevitable but still very exciting news, uh, we've got some great stories over at Bloomberg.
0: Yeah, so Apple reporting wonderkin Mark Gurman, writes that Apple is readying the next batch of silicon-powered Macs He reports that Apple's planned for release as early as spring and later in the fall. The chips are destined to be placed across upgraded versions of the MacBook Pro, both entry-level and high-end iMac desktops, and later a new MacBook Pro workstation. Spring and fall are US times, of course, and on schedule with what you would be expecting, uh, Peter?
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, I was expecting an event in March. Apple tends to have an education event in March. And so that to me seemed like the best time for them to unveil iMacs powered by the Apple Silicon. And if they're doing the same thing that they did with the current lineup, the of the M1 chips that we've seen, you know, we saw three different product lines get the the entry-level M1. So I would imagine the Chips that are going in the iMac are also destined to go in the MacBook Pro. So currently the M1 that is in the Mac Mini and the MacBook Air has four power cores and four efficiency cores, which helps it get that that amazing battery life, but also be able to do some some pretty important stuff. Uh, These new chips are expected to have 16 power cores. And for the pros that I've been talking to as well, one thing they're really looking forward to is much more RAM and upgradable, a lot more upgradable kind of storage, and the ability to plug in more than one monitor is is high on the list as well. So, yeah, this sounds all very promising. It sounds like the iMac Pro and the Mac Pro will probably be much later. I, I would imagine they are going to be the final upgrades in the cycle, and, that, and Apple has already given themselves to 2021 to complete the transition.
0: I don't have anything to say about it. Um. <laughs> Fair enough. You're not excited <laughs> by new chips? So it's the new chip going into more versions of Apple products.
1: Yeah, so right now we've seen the, the low-end Computers that they make uh, get the basically mobile-centric versions of the chip. The, basically, the same chips that are in the iPads have been pushed into the low-end Macs. Now we're waiting to see what Apple can do with that exact same hardware or that, the same, exact same processing in their, their much more powerful line of computers. I'm excited. Got it. <laughs>
0: And moving on to our final story for the day, which may not be the most important, but nevertheless... Google Nest speakers can now stream Apple Music. So Apple is pushing its HomePod mini speaker heavily this Christmas season, but it is good to see the service coming to speakers it didn't make. Apple has been moving its growing services division outside of its own hardware for some time. Apple Music was the company's first Android app back in 2015. More recently, Apple TV and AirPlay 2 have been added to TVs from LG, Samsung and Sony.
1: Yeah, and this makes Google's Nest line the most compatible speaker ecosystem available, supporting Google, Apple, and Spotify, and most of the other services like Deezer and Tidal and all of those. The only holdout there is Amazon Music, which is understandable because Amazon make Echo speakers, and you can't get Google Music or Apple Music on Echo speakers. Uh, according to TelSight, Google owns 60% of the smart speaker market in Australia, and we're one of the very rare markets like that. I think it's only us in Brazil where Google speakers uh, outsell Amazon speakers and Apple are far behind both of those companies on just
0: 4%. Yeah, so I guess um, with Amazon not having its sort of prime dominance here when those speakers first came out probably gave Google a bit of an advantage. Yeah, those speakers were very affordable and easy to get your hands on, giving them an early head start.
1: Yeah, that that seems to be exactly what happened, and and Google knew that that was happening, that that, that they had that advantage, and really had one of the the most aggressive marketing campaigns in Australia uh, for their their lineup of speakers. And I've got to say that their nest, the new Nest speaker, is fantastic. It sounds great. I haven't heard the HomePod Mini. Apparently it sounds good, but the the Nest Mini is a fantastic bang for buck.
0: Do you think this has any um, antitrust implications for Apple?
1: Uh, I think Apple are the most grown up at the moment in terms of <laughs> seeing that, <laughs> that um, I heard you laugh, seeing that uh, the antitrust you know machine is slowly and inevitably moving towards all of big tech. They they seem to be putting out defensive moves all over the shop. Although I've got to say that uh, it's probably just more that their services division is growing so fast that they just want to make sure that they're available wherever they can find an audience. Mhm. Anyway, that's all we have time for today. Thank you, Tess Bennett.
0: Thank you, Peter.
1: And we will speak to you guys tomorrow. See ya. See ya.